going on, everybody? I'm your host, Andre Hutchins, and you are listening to another episode of the Backseat Directors Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the celebration and discussion of all things movies. On today's episode, I am joined by my good friend and fellow co-host of a different show that we've actually yet to release, uh, <laughs> the YouTube show that we've mentioned dozens of times but have not actually released, um, my good friend Sean Bardalis. Sean is the host of his own podcast called Real Bearded News, um, but he is going to join me today for a Defend Your Movies episode. So Sean has picked three movies that he loves but for whatever reason are rotten on rotten tomatoes and we are going to defend those movies everyone thank you so much for joining us today thank you for downloading today's episode and just showing your support of the backseat directors podcast we hope you enjoy the content and i would encourage you and everyone who's listening to go and rate and review um the backseat directors podcast on itunes and whichever other platform that you might be listening to the show on if you want to follow us just reach out to us on our website you can find us at backseatdirectors.com and all of our social media links is there are there as well if you want to reach out to me personally you can email me at andre or sorry it's andre at backseatdirectors.com again that's andre spelled a-n-d-r-e at backseatdirectors.com okay let's go ahead and welcome sean to the show Sean Sean Bardalis, my old friend. How you doing, brother? What's going on? How are you? It's good, dude. It's good. We are recording on a Monday night past 10 o'clock. It's a, it's yes. a, it's a late recording. <laughs> you know what? These are usually the best shows. I'm just saying. It kind of is, dude. I never record this late at <laughs> night. Honestly, I never, never record. I, I'm usually like on the weekend or midday or something like that, but... Um, this is nice. It's quiet. It's peaceful. Not a lot's happening. This is good. Yeah. This is good. I like it. So we've got like a smooth vibe going right now for our listeners. <laughs> oh yeah. I, man, we just need some lo-fi hip hop in the background, you know, some scented candles. Oh, I like oh. it. Nah, see, I like where this is headed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners. If you uh, if you don't recognize recognize Sean's voice, then you might be new to the podcast, and that's fine. But if you do recognize Sean's voice, that's because he's been on the podcast plenty of times. Sean, I actually think the first time you were on Backseat Directors with me was when you and I reviewed um, Spider Man Homecoming, like back in two thousand seventeen. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. That it's was been, the first. No. Yeah, I dude. It's, it's it's been at least three years. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. What? Funny is that just the other day, uh, Facebook reminded me of our trip to go watch Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. I... <laughs> do you remember that we got kicked out of the theater? <laughs> well, it, we were trying to record a video. Like, we were yeah. trying to do a video before the movie started. And, like, like the Cinemark general manager was like, no, you can't record inside. And we're like, really? We're, like, trying to promote the movie and, like, promote you guys. Like, Really? So they yeah. made us do it outside. I know it was it was it was, it was lame, but uh, hey, Cinemark, <laughs> we're not knocking you. We're just knocking your policies. You're a great movie theater chain. Just change some of your policies. <laughs> Seriously though, Seriously though. But yeah, I saw that and I was like, holy crap! This was uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Was that really the first time I was on your show? Yep. Yeah, that was the first time. I mean, because you know, I had I wanted you on for a movie review. And yeah. even though you and I, like, we were becoming more acquainted, like, the more movie screenings that, you know, we were going to together. Um, but that was the official first time. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Oh, wow. I know. Oh. I know, right? How, how far our friendship has grown since then, man. Like, we've been 
through a lot now at this point. Yeah, dude, life has happened to both of us and we don't need to get into the details, but uh, I mean, you know, three years is, it it definitely has blown by really quickly, but a lot has happened in three years. <laughs> but oh, listeners, good. if you can't tell Sean, I mean, Sean lives locally near me and you know, we've, we've become friends over the years. Just, uh, uh, we met, we met randomly like on Twitter. I think I'd reached out to you because I saw, I think I saw it was either in your, your Twitter profile or like when you tweet, like you can get a, uh, like a, a location. Yeah. Like a Geotech. location. And I think I noticed that it said like Salt Lake city or something. I'm like, Oh, this guy's from around here. Let's we, yeah. we, we should meet. But, uh, but, but Sean and I, we also, um, before the insanity of the coronavirus pandemic, um, you and I were working on a brand new YouTube show with a local movie theater chain here in Utah. And we had filmed five episodes before the entire movie industry and the theater uh, business was completely shut down and that dude that has been something that i have just been just so bummed about man so bummed about and the longer the delay the movie delays continue the the more frustrated i get that we were so close man and i'm oh, not yeah. giving up we're not giving up listeners we've talked about the mega movie show for quite a while now um none of the episodes have been uploaded yet just because you know we weren't going to upload a show just to quit on it, you know, when the, the movie oh, theater shut sure. down. But um, I, it's got to happen, don't you think? It's it's, it's going to happen. Um, you know, there's a couple of uh, of movies that are coming out. Uh, like Mulan is going to come out this year, one way or another. And so, if Mulan could come back, we could come back. Okay, this is this is a year of comebacks, dude. I actually think so. You and I, you know, we did. We did like an, our first episode was like an intro to like the mega movie show episode, you know, and then we did like an Oscar recap. Um, we did one for the invisible man, you know, so we talked about horror movies. We did one for Sonic and we did video game movies. We did one for, um, onward and Pixar movies. Um, and I I know I'm missing one. I'm missing one. The invisible man. Now I I mentioned that one. There's another one. I I, I can't remember. Maybe or did I just? I don't know. Maybe that was five. Anyway, so we did Oscar recap. We did the Invisible Man. We did Pixar. Did we do Disney? With or did we do Disney and Pixar together? No, there's there's one I'm forgetting. I am forgetting one. But anyway, anyway, I digress. It's been, it's been so long. Ago. I know it has it has. But I'm pretty sure, dude, our next episode was going to be Mulan. Uh, that that was like because Mulan was supposed to come out in April, wasn't it? In March, yeah, it was supposed to or come March. out March third, yeah. So uh, anyway, we're just our fingers are crossed. We're on our knees praying. We, I mean, movie theaters in Utah have opened back up. Not all of them, but most of them have. But we're not getting the new movies, and our whole show was premised on kind of new movies, you know. So. Yeah. Hopefully, man, hopefully we get back in the saddle. I want this show to happen, dude. Uh, like what we I, honestly, man, there, I was so excited for this. And so I'm, I'm trying to pump up our listeners just so, Hey, this is still in the works. It's still coming. <laughs> it was, it's a good show. It's the, one of the best shows out there in regards to movies. If you guys don't know the premise, it's pretty much, not a mo- it's not it's not a movie review show it's not a movie it's not a show where we're going to critique movies per se 
it's a show that we're going to celebrate movies. Yes. It's a celebration of films. Yes. So it's pretty exactly. great. Yeah. It's I mean, anything it, it, else. Well, and it just, it, it gave us a variety of so many different things to talk about, you know, and the thing I love though most, and this is what I want to say is that if it's a show that I came across on YouTube, it's a show that I would watch. And so that's why I felt like this is something good and special because I knew we were creating something that, that even I, if just as a casual, you know, YouTube viewer or whatever, if I came across the mega movie show, I would spend the time to watch our show. So, um, but yeah, and I'm really picky about movie shows too. So, <laughs> well, there are a dime a dozen. I mean, gosh, there are thousands of different channels and shows and whatever else you know. People trying to make YouTube videos, but but I don't know that this was something special. And so I, I'm 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 confident that we can still do it. So here's here's to tenant opening at the end of August, like they're <laughs> saying that it will. I'm excited for that movie. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. And if that's the case, then maybe we can, you know, that could be kind of like our coming, our, our coming back party for the mega movie show. So I'm all about it. Sean, man, you are here on the podcast because you are joining me for a defend your movies episode. Let's do this. Attack me. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Well, Hey, no, I'm on your side, man. I'm on your side. You've given me your three movies and it's, it's only happened once though. It's only happened once. Sometimes some of the people that have come on to do the show with me, they've, you know, they choose a movie that I haven't seen. And so I can't, you know, I can't say, Oh, I liked it or, or, you know, I can't critique it, but um, there's yeah. only one movie that's been mentioned out of all these episodes that I've done that I actually didn't like. And so it's kind of hard for me saying, yeah, that's a great movie. <laughs> but, dude, the ones <laughs> you've chosen, good good movies, good solid movies, man. So, Sean, what we're doing, we are just choosing movies. Well, you're choosing movies that you love. But for whatever reason, for the craziness that go through movie critics' heads are Rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. So you are here, my friend, to defend your movie. So why don't you go ahead and introduce your first movie? All right. Um, the first movie is a movie with an infamous actor. He's a fantastic, very uh, emotional-driven uh, actor. Um, there's you can't miss it, right? You can't miss when he's around. Like you just have to sit down and watch whatever scene it is that he he walks into a scene and he just controls it. <laughs> it, was, it was no different, and it was surprisingly because it was slightly no difference in this movie, but it his craziness was allowed to flourish in a very unique way. And that movie is 2004's National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, dude. Oscar winning Nicolas Cage. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case you forgot, Nicolas Cage has a couple of Oscars in his lifetime. Yeah, maybe not for this movie, but he is an Oscar winning actor. (laughs) Yes, most definitely. Um, Yeah, National Treasure has a 46% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's insane. And I don't get it. National Treasure had a great story, first of all. Like, the idea that, I, first of all, you have to be on board with, like, conspiracy theories, right? <laughs> and you, you have to be on board with the fact that most, if not all, founding fathers were part of the Freemasons. But which when you which add, is pretty much documented history. Like, there's nothing... Right. Um, there's the nothing... Secret. Right, exactly. I mean, it, there's Freemasons were not as uh, it wasn't as uncommon or weird, you know, for you to be a Freemason back in the founding father era, you know. So once you get on board with that, 
and to be on board with a couple of other things, the idea that there's a map behind a declaration of independence. <laughs> I it just, first of all, I was 14 when this movie came out. So I was already on board with all of that, like jazz of like conspiracy theories and like uh, founding fathers being Freemasons, Freemasons being uh, descendants of Knights Templar. Like it just, I was just all about it. I was like, Oh my gosh. And believe it or not, being 14 and watching this movie, like I've watched National Treasure about 30 times at this point in my lifetime, and I'm 30. Yeah. Uh, this movie helped me actually understand history a lot better. Um, and I'm a huge history buff. Like I love history. U.S. history specifically is fantastic. Um, I actually got a, with National Treasure and a video game called Metal Gear Solid, these two things combined actually got me a 98 on my U.S. history exam for my New York State. So dude, I'm dude, just saying, look at that. Whoever said movies are a waste of time? <laughs> Whoever said that never watched National Treasure. That's all I'm saying. It's so good. Yeah, I'm so happy you picked this movie. I really am because this, this for me is, this is like Disney at its best. Disney mm. brands itself as the family-friendly movie studio. You know, like when you, they slap on Disney's logo, you you kind of already know this is something I can take my kids to go see, right? And National Treasure is rated PG, and yep. and it is it, it's it is in the vein of of the Disney vibes that a lot of those older Disney movies gave me. I remember when I was a kid. This came. I, I'm I'm just a few years older than you, but I remember seeing this movie and just going, "Gosh, this is just this is fun. The, the, this is an adventure tale, and this is it. Just puts a smile on your face. It's like a feel good movie, oh. man. It's so good. This is Disney at its oh. best. It really is. It, it, it's a really good um, for me personally. Reminded me of Treasure Island. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. It was just that much of like an action movie where you have where you are like uh invested in the characters and you want them to succeed and then anytime there was a setback you're like oh like your their setback it makes it 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 develops an emotion in you that it was unsuspecting uh, and even as an adult i know this movie from like beginning to end and any setback that they get like when they're um when she's running what is her name let me see if i remember um Nicholas Cage's girlfriend. Oh yeah, uh, her her name's uh, Abigail. She's played by Diane Abigail. Kruger. When Abigail's running down um, Philadelphia, and she drops the end, like the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> yeah. and it just rolls in the middle of the street, <laughs> and Sean Bean's character, um, Ian, just like grabs it. I'm like, no, like even to this day, I'm still like, no, like he got the Declaration of Independence, like it bums me out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not something that I'm like so invested in a movie, even when I've watched it like numerous times. And I just I love Nick. I don't know. I love Nicolas Cage. I think he's fantastic. Um, but yeah. Also, fun fact: one of the few movies that Sean Bean does not die. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny, man. I was actually talking to somebody about this just the other day. That there are certain actors that get they kind of just get stuck doing or something some a, a similar um you know character plot or development 
that it, it just repeats itself in whatever movie they're in. And Sean Bean is one of them. Like, just go and watch any movie that Sean Bean is in, and he is dead before the movie's over. Always. <laughs> it, it's sad. I mean, I think they should. I don't know if they do. But if it hasn't been created, they need to have a, um, what do you call those, a chart with, like, the movies that Sean Bean has survived versus yeah. the movies that he has. Yeah. Um, he's died in almost every single one of them. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that's um, that's funny, man. That's really funny. Well, the, the, it, it, speaking of the cast, uh, that's one of the highlights of the movie for me is the the chemistry between Nicolas Cage, Diane Kruger, and Justin Bartha. Justin Bartha it adds the perfect amount of comedic element within yes. this movie to just keep the movie light and and just fun. And, and you know, but it's not it, you know, I, I Star Wars and Marvel get knocked and and criticized a lot for the humor that's been added to these movies because they don't feel authentically humorous. That the jokes and the lines that are delivered in these more intense and serious moments of these movies really detract away from the emotion and tone of the movies. Whereas in this movie, Riley, the character Riley is so charming and so funny and everything about his comedy is very natural and authentic. And I, I love it, man. He's good. He's really good in this movie. He is. And it's very, um, Riley, uh, what's his name? Justin Bartha. Justin yeah, Bartha, just, yeah, yeah, he and he, he people would probably also know him from something like The Hangover, um, Hangover, yeah, right, um, or Jiggly, yeah, 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 thing. Um, he was so good, like you said. Like I remember um, the scene where he's talking about daylight savings time. Like these scenes just come back to you when you're thinking about National Treasure when um, he's looking at ben at ben gates and he's like oh wait like you don't know this and they're like looking at ben and he's looking at abigail and they both don't know like this one thing that he knows before them he's like oh this feels so good like <laughs> this is how you feel i'm like now i understand and so like he was just so good and it's different to see him in like an adult movie than on like this goofy is goofy-esque kind of character it's just really different and I love his comedic style, like that innocent but dumb kind of a character. Yeah, he did really well. Like I love him in that movie. Yeah, it's fantastic. So this movie, I think you already mentioned, it has a forty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. There are one hundred and seventy-nine submitted reviews from Rotten Tomato critics. However, the audience score is much better; it has a seventy-six percent with over nine hundred and twenty-four thousand user ratings submitted. So a lot of people engaging on this film on Rotten Tomatoes obviously much more beloved by the audience. Um, this is a fantastic movie. It really is. One of the things I wanted to, to say as well that uh, you kind of brought up, you know, just with, you know, the founding fathers being Freemasons and stuff like that. What, what I think really draws people into this movie. Maybe this is, I'm just speaking for Americans that like this movie. Our country is not very old. It's like 250 years old. That's not old. Especially, you know, with a lot of our roots being, you know, Im- immigrants from Europe, Europe is old. Europe has thousands of years of history. They have countless mythologies and legends and stories where we don't really have that. You know, our history is, it's just not that old. And so yeah. this, 
this movie feels like a rediscovering of of the roots of America. And I think it, it in a sense, I, I don't know if patriotism is the right word, but just just a sense of identity as, oh, this is what it means to be American, you know? <laughs> For sure. It's, I don't know. It's it's one of those films where it makes you, and, and, and I think you're right, like it gives you that sense of patriotism, right? Like our founding, because they have so many somber moments when they're talking about like the Declaration of Independence being back in Independence Hall, right? Like they put that patriotic like tone right in like under um, when Ben is talking or Nicolas Cage's character is talking about like, whoa, do you feel that? Like this hasn't been in this room for like 250 years. Like yeah. this and that. And it just makes you feel good. And, and it actually brings like it sucks you in to the point where you're feeling almost that same emotion that he's feeling about the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just different, yeah, especially because it doesn't take place all in D.C., so. Yeah, no, and that, uh, yeah, because they are going from D.C. to places like Philadelphia, just more of the historic, mm-hmm. you know, cities and sites of America in the early years of our country. Yeah, great choice, man, really great choice. <laughs> this is such a great movie. So, I mean, there are two movies. Fans have been clamoring for years you know, to finish out the trilogy and have a third one. And it, it looks like Disney has greenlit the third one. So we are going to get a third national treasure. It's going to happen. I hope so. I hope they do it well. Um, the Book of Secrets, I'm not going to lie, it was good in my opinion, but it wasn't as good. It didn't capture me the way the first one did. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I like both, but the first one, in my opinion, is is much better than the second. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. All right, man. Good choice. Okay, let's go on to your second movie. This is another fun one. <laughs> All right. So I'm actually gonna. So my second one is gonna be kind of obscure because I'm gonna take it back to the '80s. I'm gonna oh, go that route. Okay. 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 So oh, I. Yeah. We're gonna save. We're gonna save the other one for last. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead and introduce this one. So this movie has, you know, like there's not much that you can say about this movie, first of all. Um, it has the Brad Pack. Okay, if you guys don't know who the Brad Pack was, it was a collection of actors that would consistently work with each other, such, such as Emilio Estevez, Demi Moore, Andrew McCarthy, Rob Lowe, Judd, Nets, uh, Judd Nelson, and many, many more. Um, this movie is not the Breakfast Club, even though that's also a really good choice, but it's actually St. Elmo's Fire. I freaking love this movie. <laughs> it's so, so good. It's a very realistic... So, okay. Put a pin on that statement. As a filmmaker, there's certain things that we're not supposed to do. Um, one of them is um, they tell us, show, don't tell, right? Um if you are going to tell, like, don't put too much exposition. Um, no one wants to see mundane events in people's lives. Mm-hmm. This movie kind of breaks all of those rules, um, <laughs> except for the show don't tell. They don't tell you anything, but they do show you a lot of stuff. And a lot of it is very mundane. Um, there's very weird things, like Emilio Estevez's character in this movie. Um he gets obsessed with um, with a girl that happens to be a nurse or a doctor, excuse me, and to the point that he goes to the cabin. So there's a scene in this movie where he he makes a, he works with his like super rich Asian dude, um, 
and he's supposed to be responsible, right? So he has to house all to himself. So he decides to throw a party, invites the doctor. Doctor doesn't show up. And so he goes to where this woman lives. And her roommate is like, what do you want? What are you doing here? He's like, where is she? Yada, yada, yada. And she's like, well, why am I supposed to tell you? And he says this, and I quote, he says, because I am not responsible for what I will do to you if you do not give me that information. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> this day and age. Oh. It, say, in the 80s, apparently it was romantic. Um, so he that, makes that, re- that reminds me of a, a, a Simpsons episode where Homer, uh, he's trying to... Um, I think Marge told him he's not allowed to eat something. It's like a cake or something like that. It's in the kitchen. And uh, he he looks towards the cake and he starts walking towards it and like doing like a like a chomping motion like a shark. And he's like, <laughs> I'm going to do this. And if you if you don't get out of the way and I eat you, it's not it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what he says. Um, and so he makes it. So she tells him where in the cabin this woman is uh her name was dale and it's played by andy mcdowell um which is a beautiful woman like they had a beautiful cast for saint elmo's fire and um he makes it up there and he's mad that she's sleeping with another guy and he's about to like freeze to death in his car and they let him inside like this is how nice she is she lets him inside the cabin the dude that she's with is even nicer um and they give him like pajamas to sleep that night and then he sleeps warm by the fire um and then the the ending of that little love story is that um he's about to drive away and she's like oh maybe you know maybe one day i'll look at this and 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 think maybe you know this is my loss not yours because you're such a sweet guy you're so romantic you're really nice yada yada so he goes ahead and just kisses her while her boyfriend is like inside the house (laughs) and leaves her like dumbfounded like oh my gosh maybe i should have been with this guy and he leaves and he's like super happy it makes absolutely no sense why he's excited but (laughs) this movie was just like it had a couple of like really deep moments like there's a girl that she's sleeping with her boss um there's a guy that got married to his college girlfriend because she got pregnant um and he has to make choices right there's another one that continuously cheats on his girlfriend but wants to get married to her um, but says that he loves her. There's the one that was in love with that girl and just confesses it towards the end of the movie. But it doesn't give you an ending where you're like, oh, every little thing got tied up in a bow. It ends in a note of like, life is not perfect and you just got to keep going and you figure crap out as life gives it to you. And I love that ending. Like, I love the fact that it's not tied up in a little bow. Um, And it talks about real issues that people are suffering, you know? So I liked it. It's a really sweet, somber movie with the Brad Pack. And it's great. It's fantastic. I really wish I could add commentary to this movie. And and it pains me to say that I have never seen this movie. I I love 80s movies. I, I was born in the 80s. You know, I had a lot of my childhood in the 80s and the fact that I have missed out on this movie because, you know, you mentioned, you know, movies like The Breakfast Club and stuff like that. Those are iconic 80s movies and movies that I have seen dozens of times. But I don't know how St. Elmo's Fire has always slipped through my fingers. I've just never seen it. (laughs) However, what I think, though, is 
um, it's a nice coincidence, though, that you chose this movie just because, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher, uh, he was the director of this movie. Um, he recently passed away just a few weeks ago. I think he, it was even less than a month ago, but he he has an extensive filmography, lots of movies and well-known movies that he has directed. But yes, this is one of his kind of first um, I think it was one of the first four or five movies that he directed. Uh, this movie came out in 1985. But I mean, when you start to say movies like uh, The Lost Boys, Flatliners, The Client, Batman Forever, A Time to Kill, Batman and Robin, as controversial as those Batman movies are, um, <laughs> Phone Booth, The Phantom of the Opera, number 23 with uh, Jim Carrey, you know, like these, these are very well-known movies and i've only named a few i mean he has directed gosh well over 20 movies um this this movie though i i know people have talk a lot about this movie and when you talk about joel schumacher because i remember i posted um on twitter when joel schumacher died um and i got a lot of comments from people saying you know that that St. Elmo's Fire was their favorite Joel Schumacher movie. Um, and and also, the co- a nice coincidence is that apparently, <laughs> you, you know, Sean, you're familiar with the release the Snyder Cut movement. You know, the, yes. the, the Snyder Cut of Huge. Justice League that we're actually going to get next year on HBO Max. Well, this has started, it has started, it's lit a fire among fans and and these these fans are are demanding movies that they know that the studio really really messed with and altered from the director's original vision and one of these movies is actually joel schumacher's batman forever so apparently today one of the highest trending hashtags on twitter today was release release the schumacher cut and they're referring to val kilmer's batman forever because apparently that movie is very different from what was originally filmed um, and then what was released in theaters. So, uh, so Joel Schumacher, man, even though he, uh, God rest his soul, he's, you know, passed away, but he is he was, still in the news. He's still in the news. Yeah. <sighs> he was a genius director and, um, St. Elmo's fire just happens to be his fifth directorial movie. And it's his eighth, uh, movie as a writer. Uh, yep yep i yeah i saw that he wrote and directed this film Uh uh-huh and so i don't (laughs) schumacher is like midas man like anything he touches is gold as long as you know distributors or others don't touch it yeah is gold yeah and so this is one of them yeah and i movies like i remember the some of the first memories i i have of, of of a movie having an emotional impact on me as a kid seeing a movie and just going wow like the storytelling power of a movie is real uh one of the first experiences i had was was with the client that i i must have been no more than 10 when that movie came out Um, but the client the client is a great movie and and his ability to connect with i think both adults and children and, and not that all his you know movies have kids because one of the main character of the movie is a kid and the client but um he is he's extremely talented um but dude I, I have this movie on my watch list i don't know how it's escaped me but i'm glad you mentioned it because it's going to motivate me to go out and see this but on ron tomatoes uh, well, wait <laughs> where, where is it streaming on showtime oh shoot i don't have a showtime one <laughs> hey but that's all right i mean i mean there is like 
streaming services. Yeah, I, I mean, gosh, dude, I think I've, I've subscribed to at least five of them right now. Showtime's not one of them, though. <laughs> I, yeah, um, I don't but no, this is I'll probably just go buy this on Blu-ray just from Amazon or something like that. Uh, Ron Tomatoes says the critics consensus St. Elmo's Fire is almost peak Brat Brat Pack. It's got the cast, the fashion and the music, but the characters are too frequently unlikable. Um, from the way that you explained it, though, Sean, it sounds like that that, that was the purpose they were meant to yeah. be. So I mean, it's it's funny to hear some of these critiques, you know, from from these movie critics. But on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 44 percent from 41 submitted uh, reviews by Rotten Tomato critics. But with over 55,000 user ratings submitted has a 68 percent. So, again, a movie that the audience likes a lot more. St. Elmo's Fire. And you know what's funny? And just to talk about like that critics consensus, I'll, I'm going to break it down. Are you on the page right now? Yep, I am. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. So we're going to start with Rob Lowe on the bottom right hand corner. His character, he's a playboy. He can't hold a job and he struggles, but he's a fantastic musician. Um, and then followed by the one next to him would be. Uh, let's see. What's his name? Uh, you're talking to Andrew McCarthy. No, Alec, which is Judd Nelson, who's right next to, uh, Rob Lowe. Oh yeah. Uh huh. He's a banker and he went from straight, he was recruited straight from college into his job. He's the one that's cheating on his girlfriend, which is to the top right on the top. And he's like, the sweet, like he has a heart of gold. Like if you need him, he'll be there for you. But he's cheating on his girlfriend, right? Not nice. Emilio Estevez, kind of creepy. Already talked about him. Kirby was weird. Um, Andrew <laughs> McCarthy, um, he's a writer. He's a newspaper writer, and he can't write because he's in love with Judd Nelson's girlfriend, and so he has a, a like a writer's block basically, and he doesn't believe in love. Then you have uh, Judd Nelson's girlfriend, which is on the type right hand corner. And she's just focusing on her career. Before getting married, she wants to establish herself as a professional. So I have a problem with the statement of, you know, the characters are too frequently unlikable because you have three female characters that are strong leads and they all have their reason for being the way that they are. Now, Demi Moore's character is a little more unlikable just because she hates her stepmother and can't wait until she dies. Um <laughs> <laughs> she's sleeping with her boss and like she she is she is the representation of sexual freedom that's what she is in this movie and then uh the girl that plays wendy uh which is actually a fantastic actress uh these days uh her mayor name is mayor wingingham mm-hmm. she's a virgin she's the virgin of the group and she's ne- like she's in love with billy which is rob Lowe's character and she's such a sweetheart. Her parents are super rich, and she works on welfare. Uh, she is one of the social workers that helps people get like their food stamps. So I don't think the characters are unlikable at all. They're just super relatable, especially in the year 2020. That's great, man. I think that's a very fair rebuttal. Absolutely, dude. Um, yeah, good choice, man. Good choice. 1985, St. Elmo's Fire. All right, Sean last movie all right here we go this is coming at a whopping which i'm so surprised with the stellar cast 57 percent in rotten tomatoes 
It's a movie of that one cop that will go at extreme lengths <laughs> and his and his, and the unusual partnership that he has with his sidekick of this movie. Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis, starring Die Hard with a Vengeance. Holy crap, what a movie. This movie is fantastic <laughs> from start to finish. I'm sorry, but seeing a half-drunk Bruce Willis with a sign that they had to kind of sort of CGI because it says, I hate the N-word <laughs> in the middle of Harlem, New York. That's your start. Like, they set the... Like they told you what you were getting into from the start of this movie. It was not going to be fun. It was going to be a heart-pounding movie from the beginning to the end. Now, what I will admit about this movie, and I don't admit a lot of things about movies when I'm saying I love them, is that they had too many of those uh, at the right time, at the right place kind of plot. Do you remember the scene where, uh, is it Samuel Jackson? No. Bruce Willis gets shot up like a geyser when uh, they try to drown the tunnel. Yeah. And Sam Jackson is just driving down the Sawmill Parkway and Bruce Willis just pops out of the ground all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have too much of those in a movie and it's like, okay, that's a little ridiculous. But aside from that one little thing, this movie's fantastic. It's a great action movie. And again, great cast. You have, again, Bruce Willis. You have. Um, Samuel Jackson, and you have uh, Jeremy Irons as our villain, which oh, is the brother, and he to- plays such a great villain, such he a does. great villain. Yes, he's Simon Gruber, uh, brother to Hans Gruber, yes. which, is which is fantastic. You can't like they chose two great actors to play siblings. Honestly, I would have loved to see a movie with both of them together as the villains. And Bruce Willis trying to figure it out, but <laughs> oh man, what a movie! I can't believe it has that much of a low score. I know, I know. And the thing that I think the Die Hard franchise struggles from is what a lot of what a lot of other franchises that start off with a really popular movie that maybe was never intended to become a fran you know be a franchise, but from its right unsuspected success they're gonna ride this wave right and that's what i mean that that is what the die hard franchise is you know they they had lightning in a bottle with the first die hard movie everybody loves that movie any anyone that you know that has seen that movie they love it and then they'll debate whether it's a christmas movie or not a christmas movie but they just love it right and it's highly (laughs) highly quotable and and it's hard also, yes, no, that's what I mean. It's hard to replicate the the success and the just, I don't know, just the, the magic that the first movie had. And even though these other movies are, are so much fun and highly entertaining to watch, I think people, because it's unable to capture that same kind of magic or feel the first one, they they criticize it even though it's maybe you know maybe really similar it's just kind of the same vein this is the same dna as the first one highly entertaining like if this was the first movie probably a lot of people a lot more critics would have liked it and i i just think that's where where the critics are kind of you know they're okay with criticizing these movies more because and and when i tell you the numbers uh listeners on 
the Rotten Tomatoes numbers, you're going to see, I mean, audiences love this movie much more than, than the critics, but, but dude, and Jeremy Irons, man, just going back, dude, this is coming off the heels of Lion King and his performance as Scar in 1994. Dude, Jeremy Irons, he's just got that presence and persona. Dude, you're just a good villain. You're great, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude, this movie's great. It really is. There's not, and I know a lot of people, the most recent Die Hard that I had, I think it came out like five years ago. I've only seen it once. I think that has the worst score out of all of them on Rotten Tomatoes. But, dude, I'm a fan of this franchise. I love these movies. They're just so fun. They're just popcorn yeah. flicks, big explosions, action, Bruce Willis at his best. <laughs> like, what is there not to like about these movies? Yeah. I love it, man. And you know what? Like, I I own – there's not a lot of um, movie franchises that I own Blu-rays. And when I was <laughs> – when I was buying my Blu-ray collection, I made a point that one of the first five movies – that I bought as a collection was Die Hard. Yeah. I, re- yeah. I remember watching Die Hard with my mother. She's a huge <laughs> Bruce Willis fan. Nice. Nice. So I Die Hard with my mom. And I remember there was this one Sunday night that Telemundo had Die Hard 1, 2, 3. And I, th- I don't think 4 was out at the time. So it was 1, 2, and 3. We watched all three Die Hard movies back to back in Spanish. And it was (laughs) the most fantastic time of my life. I was like 12 when I watched that. Like I was super lucky, man. Lucky letting you, uh, letting you watch all these rated R movies as a kid. That's like a dream come true as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) It was, here's the secret. If she loved the actor, we were watching it. Terminator. He's a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. So we watched the Terminator movies. We will watch die hard. Anything was, Stallone and Chuck Norris, we were watching it like hands down. So those were my those were my rated R movies. You know, it wasn't rated R because there was sex involved. It was rated R because he was like knocking someone's head off, cussing and up was, a storm. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, but Die Hard with a Vengeance. Listen, at the very beginning, when you have an introduction between Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis, um, you like again. At the beginning of the film in itself, it tells you what you're getting into. It's not going to be a movie where you're going to have a slow down moment. It's going to be a movie that you're going to be bouncing in from action to action, right? It established it within the first five minutes. Within the first ten minutes, it establishes the dynamic that Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis have. First of all, by um, Detective McClane calling Samuel Jackson's character Zeus, Hey, Zeus. Um, like, what the Puerto Rican to you, mother? Like, you already know the kind of dynamic these two are going to have. And you put Samuel Jackson in any comedic role, and he's going to own that. Like, he owned it. You and I went to watch this together Hitman's Bodyguard. Yeah. He owned it with Ryan Reynolds, you know? Yep. Yep. He owned it in um, The Hateful Eight. It wasn't a comedic role, but it had comedic essence to it, and he was fantastic. Um, so you already get that with Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson. You see how they're going to work together and how that relationship is going to affect their task in hand. Um, and you, the story progresses naturally. Like during this entire film, there was I didn't for me uh, personally, I didn't feel like there was any um, anything that was forced or anything that was put there just because they needed to figure out 
how to progress the story. But anytime that McLean got uh, closer to solving the mystery, something came out of nowhere and it just, boom, it completely destroyed his original plan and he had to improvise on the fly. And that's what makes this movie fantastic. Because you have Jeremy Irons, who uh, Gruber, who is ahead of him the entire time. He's playing chess while freaking McLean is playing checkers over here. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it's, they're playing two different games. And when he finally catches up to what game he's playing, is just in time. And that's what made this movie fantastic. Because it was one of those 80s, 90s film where the cops always show up late. And you get there just in the nick of time to save everybody. You can't just mess up with that with that structure. Like it's just a fantastic movie. So, and the director of this movie, he his name is John McTiernan. He directed the first Die Hard. He he is the creator of the original Die Hard movie. He did not do the second one, surprisingly, but he did do the third one. And so, you know, if people are critiquing, oh, it's too similar, it's not original. I mean, this this is kind of his baby. I mean, he did the first yeah. one, right? I mean. Uh, but it, for anybody that's not familiar with John McTiernan, this guy has directed some incredible movies. Ever heard of Predator? How about get the, to the, the uh, get to the job? <laughs> kill me! <laughs> I can't. I can't. Come on, I'm here. Kill me! <laughs> I can't do an Arnold one. <laughs> How about the Hunt for Red October? Last Action I Hero, correct. and one of my one of my just more obscure favorites the 13th warrior you ever seen that one i have antonio banderas man it's kind of a play off of uh, the beowulf story but dude i love this movie man john mctiernan has directed some phenomenal action movies and in my opinion along with yours die hard with the vengeance is included in that category for sure no reason and you know what? Something that you were saying earlier where like uh, people go ahead and criticize it a lot harsher because it is part of a sequel right. um, part of a franchise. They, they expect to either have the same gold as the first one or to be complete or and they'll complain that it's the same as the first one yeah. or when they try a new idea. It's different from the first one. Like you cannot satisfy a critic and they cannot enjoy it for what it is dude that's i'm telling you man that is so true that is so true i so <laughs> my wife and i we started watching the pirates of the caribbean franchise and we just watched last night um the second one uh dead man's chest and yes. that one is very different than the first one the first one is more kind of a it's kind of like a it's like a pirate's version of Princess Bride. It has everything. It's got comedy, romance, action, adventure, uh, some more, you know, scary scenes, you know, with uh, the curse that, you know, the, it's put on the pirates and stuff like that. It's got everything. And it's such a fun movie. Dude, Dead Man's Chess is much more intense. It's much more dark. Uh, it is, it is, the the tone and the vibe of the movie is very different than the first one. And I remember people saying, Oh, I just wish it was more like the first one. Well, I, dude, you can't have, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't complain about both <laughs> things. Either. It's too much like the first one or it's too different than the first one. I, I just, I, I'm sick of it. <laughs> yeah. Like people cannot enjoy something 
for what it is, for the original idea that it's coming with. And the thing is, film has a formula. And I've talked about this in my own personal podcast when it comes to horror films. American horror films have a formula and is dustly. Person hears a noise. They go to noise. Noise turns out to be a cat, right? So you have your fake jump scare, right? Because it's, meow. oh, it's just a cat. Turns around, boom, there's your scare, right? Yeah. That is your American horror formula. Yeah. Any other for any other horror in any other country is you hear noise, it's probably the thing that's hunting you. But not only is it probably the thing that's hunting you, but in the difference between uh, American horror and international horror is American horrors have rules. If it's a ghost, it could only haunt you in the home that you're going to. So you keep doing the stupid decision of going back. In any other international film, they're not stuck to that place. <laughs> follow you anywhere. So with that being said, if, if horror has a formula, action has a formula as well. Everything that happens, especially American horror, I mean American action, any action that the protagonist takes is going to result in a consequence that's going to bring them back to square one. And they have to start from square one to get now, not only back to square two, but to square three. And guess what's going to happen to square three? They're going back to square one until the <laughs> of the movie where they are pitted against the main villain. Once you have that, you have your resolution. Or you have a deeper actual, like that's when you actually get into the meat and potatoes as to why the villain's doing it. And then you have the background story, right? That's action. That's the action formula. So this movie follows that action formula the same way the first one did, which, by the way, one of the ways that they did it for him was taking away his shoes and making him go barefoot. <laughs> on like That was his going back to square one. And so this movie does the same thing, and it's not a bad film at all. Dude, and, just you, well, and, that you, every- and you talk about the formula, though, and I think this is what I think is so crucial to understanding why – I have serious issues with Rotten Tomatoes is that this is, these are the eighties and nineties action movies. If you did not grow up in the eighties or nineties, or you're just seeing this movie for the first time in the two thousands. Yeah. It might seem a little formulaic and out of fresh ideas, but this is the, these were the action movies of that time, you know? Not yeah. everything was a John Wick back then. John Wick didn't even exist back then. And so what I mean by this is that this this movie came out in 1995. Rotten Tomatoes has not existed as long as Die Hard has been around. Like so what's happening is that you have these movie critics that are going back. Movie critics now in 2020 going back and reviewing old movies from the context of our current decade that we're in. And it's just not fair. And so it, I just, dude, I appreciate you choosing movies like this that I, you know, it's easy to call it the critics because I don't think I don't, the critics, they're not being fair and they're not coming from a view that is within context of the time frame that this movie came out. And so 50, 57% on Rotten Tomatoes, 69 uh, reviews submitted by Rotten Tomato critics, but an 83% from the audience score with over 411,000 user ratings submitted. This is a fun movie. It's a good movie. I'm happy you picked it, man. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Great choice, dude. Thank you. And to be fair, and I'm going to be completely open and honest with all you guys out there, 
the number one movie that I wanted to choose. Yeah, let's hear. It. This is your this is your uh, your uh, honorable mention. Okay, <laughs> it was the Mummy, 1998's The Mummy. That was my original choice because it's at a sixty percent. I know, dude, and it it barely barely missed. Well, I mean, it, it still missed. It barely missed. It barely missed the cutoff for the criteria in which I allow you to choose defend your movie. So it's technically <laughs> not rotten, even though it is towing the line. But that's your favorite movie, right? All-time favorite movie? That's my all-time favorite movie. I could almost quote that movie word for word. Yeah, dude, it's a fun movie. Brendan Fraser at his best. <laughs> Brendan Fraser at his best. It's sad what happened to him, and he left Hollywood for it, but he's coming back slowly, so that's awesome. I hope so, man. That'd be fun to see him back in, in movies again. He he was he ruled the 90s. He ruled the 90s. Yep, he was, he was in the line to be the next action hero. And, I mean, he made movies like The Mummy, right? So he was the action hero on that one. Um, but then he did uh, funny movies like uh, George of the Jungle, Blast from the Past. <laughs> Uh, which blast from uh, the one of my favorites to- encino man yeah he made that one too um which is the one that he does the the contract with the devil oh gosh with uh oh who's that actress the actress from um oh i know which one you're talking about i don't remember the name i know which one you're talking about though it's the same actress from the first austin powers movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh bedazzled be dazzled, yeah, I remember. <laughs> and I mean, he did some great, great films. You know, Inkheart. It's it's a, a little known film, but he did that one. Um, and so he was great, but you know, he amongst other male actors that were sexually harassed or and or assaulted, and he got blacklisted because of it. So yeah. now he's in Doom Patrol. He's at the DC. DC show and he plays an awesome character on that. And so, yeah, go check Brendan Fraser and Doom Patrol. He's great. He's a great actor. I love yeah, him. Good, good call out, man. Well, um, your movies again, uh, national treasure, St. Elmo's fire and die hard with vengeance. Great choices, dude. This has been a fun podcast, Sean. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me on your show. It's good to uh, record stuff again. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Why don't you go ahead and let the listeners know how they can follow you, how they can reach out to you. You obviously have your own podcast, uh, so tell them how they can how they can find you. I do. Uh, go ahead and on Instagram and Facebook is Real Bearded News. That's R E L Bearded News. Uh, you can reach out to me through there. Uh, listen to our latest episode that just dropped today at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, it's an interview with uh, a young, young director who did a Star Wars fan film. So go check that out. You heard it from him, listeners. Go check it out. Real Bearded News. Sean, thank you. Listeners, thank you for downloading today's episode. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, until next episode, we'll talk to you guys later. See ya. The Backseat Director's theme song is Let's Go to the Movies by Ozo Motley. You can find the album Ozo Motley Presents Ozo Kids and all of their other music on iTunes. The Backseat Director's podcast is available to download on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and most other podcast platforms. Join the conversation online and follow Backseat Directors on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And see a show.